Hello, neighbors. Welcome back. Hey, guys. How you doing, Brittany? I'm doing good, Kasha. But more importantly, how are you doing, Miss Birthday Girl? Happy birthday, Big 23. Thank you. Thank you. Had some good cake today. Yeah. Was it a little bit ugly because it might have taken a 360 flip out of my car? Uh, I don't want to say it was pretty. Yeah. Um, called her crying yesterday because I thought I'd put the cake in a very safe location in my car. Things shifted a little bit. And then I opened the car door and it did just just flipped. It tastes it tastes great. Yeah. It tastes like a cake. Delicious. I can't complain. Um, but it was it was definitely not the prettiest after that flip. Let me tell you about that. And for our social media follower of the week this week, we'd like to announce that it is drumroll Mayella. Thank you so much for reposting the podcast and thank you for your comment with those good suggestions. We have put everything on a little list of cases we're going to look into. Um, and if it's long enough for an episode, we are more than happy to do it. But yeah, thank you for your continued support. We see you liking all of our posts. And that is why you, Mayela, are the social media follower of the week. And if anyone out there wants to be the next social media follower of the week, make sure you're interacting on any social media platform. And we might pick you next week. So just saying. Interaction. Any interaction is good interaction. Kasha, what are we talking about today? Well, Brittany, today's episode involves two unsolved murders, <gasps> conspiracies, Ooh. and possibly some mafia involvement. Oh my goodness. Honestly, this is such a crazy case. Uh, we're about the second podcast to do an episode on it. Um, second or third? Second or third. It definitely needs to be spread more. It should be solved by now, but it's not. Yeah. This case has taken us a really long time. Um, it was originally supposed to be our first episode, but there was just so much information that we wanted to get correct, and we wanted to make sure that we gave this case the recognition it deserved and the time that it deserved. So that's why it's now episode number three, which is pretty good in my book because three is my lucky number. It's on the day I was born. And I don't know, there's just something good about threes. Threes. Yeah. (laughs) Another reason this took us a little while is we had a secret interview that we did. It wasn't Uh, actually that secret. I posted it on social media. (laughs) You guys are going to be hearing bits and pieces of that interview today in today's episode. If you want to hear the full thing, it'll be in our YouTube. Yes, it was so exciting. I had the pleasure of talking to the two surviving twin daughters and one of the daughter's husbands. They were both very kind. Um, Everyone was open to sharing all the information they had in hopes that one day, you know, their parents will receive justice and everything will be just fine. In hopes that one day justice will be served. We really appreciate them taking time of their lives in order to make this interview possible. And like Kasha said, we're going to be posting the full interview with more detailed facts on our website, YouTube. And, you know, just keep a lookout. We want to get this case as worldwide as possible. Yeah. Um, I know we're excited and ready to share this with you. So hopefully you are ready to listen and take in on all this information. Yeah. So without further delay, let's let's get get bloody. Our case today starts on September 8th, 1970 when 52-year-old taxi driver John Leonard received a call about a person in need of a ride at Buck Hill Inn. What John didn't know is that this would be the last taxi call he'd ever take. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, we have to take a few steps back and talk about who John Leonard was and how 52 years down the line, he'd end up dead in his own taxi cab. 
John William Leonard Sr. was born July 6, 1918 in Westover, PA to two strict Irish Catholic parents. He was raised in Elmhurst, PA. We don't have much on John's childhood, but as an adult, he was a crane operator until he was 24 years old. In 1942, he then enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Corps in Europe during World War II. This was where he was held as a prisoner of war for 22 whole months, only released when the conflict was resolved in 1945. He went on to marry a Madeline Merrill in 1953, and together they had five children. In order of oldest to youngest, they are Cavan, John Jr., Dolores, Deborah, and Timothy. Dolores, also known as Lori, and Deborah, also known as Debbie, are the daughters that I had the pleasure of speaking to, as well as Randy, who is Lori's husband. They were all very nice. Um, again, thank you guys if you're listening to this. Sorry, I missed out on that one. I couldn't get off of work. Yeah. Would have loved to talk to you guys. Yeah, but they, you know, thank you guys so much. On the day of the murder, John had been talking to the twins about new school uniforms. At this time, John and Madeline were living in separate homes. Now, we're going to come back to that a little later. I just want you guys to hold on to that fact that they weren't living in the same house. Okay. John and the children were staying in an apartment above the bar owned by Donald Mick. John worked for Mick's taxi service as a taxi driver. Mick also had a garage, a bar, and a gas station, all of which John worked at. As the children were talking to John, they were interrupted by a call about someone in need of a taxi at Buck Hill Inn. John headed out towards the inn. A little while later, after no communication from John, Mick became worried. He headed out searching for John, only to find him dead in his parked cab, 150 feet from the inn's entrance. John was found with five gunshot wounds from a 25 caliber weapon, two shots to the left side of the neck, two to the back of the left ear, and one in the left side of his ribcage. No shell casings were found at the scene. A witness did see a man standing next to John's cab. That man was described as a white male with dark hair, roughly between the ages of 30 and 40, wearing a bluish green windbreaker, dark pants, and dark framed glasses. My question is, if there was someone who saw this suspect... Why didn't he hear any gunshots? I mean, 150 feet from the inn, right? And that's really close to the entrance. There are so many windows. Um, we'll see if we can get a picture posted of where exactly they were. Super close to a bunch of windows. No silencer use. Like, how does that make any sense? And the inn was popular back then, so it wasn't, like, vacant. There was, there was people everywhere. Workers, guests. Not short of people. There's no reason that nobody heard anything. Makes just no sense. Suspicious. Very suspicious. But now here's where it gets weird. Police reports and news articles say that John left the house at 2.40 p.m. Then at 2.50 p.m., the witness saw the man standing next to the cab. And finally, at 3.45 p.m., Mick found John's body. But according to the twins and people they were able to talk to, John actually left the house around 11.45 a.m. and was found around 12.30 to 1 p.m. Now, that's a big time difference. The only thing that is accurate is that the state police didn't arrive until around 5.45 p.m. Now, keep in mind, this is Hazleton Police, so it took them hours to get there. The local police did arrive sooner, but because they only had two people on the force back then, the case was handed over to the state police. The police chief at the time of the initial investigation was Bruce Hyatt, who worked with Bob Labar, one of the two officers working on the local force at the time. Along with the time discrepancies, the reports have some details wrong. 
For example, the reports say that John was wearing a yellow shirt, but the twins say he never owned yellow and only wore white button-downs. Also, the reports say a 22 caliber weapon when it was a 25. Some of these details may seem small, but they all add up, and if they got these quote-unquote small details wrong, what else did they get wrong? Hopefully not anything big, which, you know, if you get the small things wrong, how can we be sure you don't get any of the big things wrong? I mean, this case is like 52 years old, and police still haven't solved it, so what else could have they possibly gone wrong if they couldn't even figure out the timeline? There's a reason for that. Yeah? Yeah. So, Labar, one of the local officers, would then be the one to inform the children about John's passing. The twins were only 13 when they received the news about their father. That's a very young age to lose your dad, especially to murder. In the interview, I commended the the twins about their strength because thinking, as someone who has lost a parent, that's such a hard thing to handle. And the fact that they were so young, they were almost the youngest and they've been working on this for you know almost 52 years yeah and the fact that they saw their dad like that morning they were talking to him and he just went to work and just never came back yeah heartbreaking uh let's hear how debbie and Lori felt about receiving the news bob labar came in and told us and you're just like we're zombies we didn't know i mean couldn't fathom Upon receiving the news about John, Madeline returned to the apartment to take care of the children. Now, Madeline was born in Livermore Falls, Maine in July 1942. She was an absolute sweetheart, played basketball in high school, loved to ice skate. She loved to bake treats, avid reader. This was a wonderful mom. So remember, hold on to the fact, why were they separated? But the only other information we have on Madeline's life is what we learned from her daughters. She loved playing basketball. Mm-hmm. She played basketball in school. Yeah, she was good. And she was really good, like a really good player. Mm-hmm. Um, she had strict parents. She loved, she loved ice skating. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. Parents, uh, she was a fun-loving mother. Now. It's been three years since John passed, and for the Leonard children, it only got worse. On February 22nd, 1973, our now-widowed Madeline Leonard was working a late-night waitressing job at a rotary diner at the Top Hat Restaurant in Mountain Home, PA. And fun fact, uh, that is now known as the Poor House. Like P-O-U-R, not P-O-O-R, like I thought it was. Um, Learned that earlier. Yeah, no. um, All you Pocono Mountain East kids that are used to go to the house with shout out to you wing night was great so while working she received a phone call from someone claiming that they had a tip about john's murder against her children's wishes madeline went to follow the lead alone on her way home from following the tip in mount pocono madeline got into a fatal accident on route 940 there wasn't much publicized about the investigations especially not madeline's in fact debbie and Lori aren't so sure the police took these cases very seriously at all Two officers, Chief Hartman and Chief Vondeluver, had opposing opinions about Madeline's passing. Chief Hartman believed that there was most definitely a connection between both John and Madeline's deaths. He says that there were two sets of tire tracks on scene and paint was found on the back of Madeline's bumper. Hartman also believes that Madeline was run off the road by whoever lured her out under the guise of a tip. On the complete opposite end, however, Vondeluver complains that no such evidence existed and that there are zero connections between these deaths. Now, here's where it gets real weird. 
There was a man who was seen at Buck Hill Inn at the time of John's murder. That same man was also the one who reported Madeline's accident. Now, to me, that's weird. Super weird. How is the same person at the two murders of husband and wife, three years apart? Very, that's, very strange. I, I don't know how to, how do you explain that? I don't know, but who was this man, Kasha? Do you know? Yes. Uh, his name was George Quinn, also known as Sonny. He was a police informant, but no questioning was done as to why he was at both murders. There are reports that he was also a... What was it? He was a sex offender. Pedophile, to be exact. Yeah, um, just to let you guys know. Police yep. informant, pedophile, just to let you know. So reliable. Yep. There was also a sketch made for the man who was seen by John's cab, but it was never released to the public until April 2022. Now, keep in mind, this happened in 1970. Yeah, and it wasn't released until last year, around this time. Like, I, if you would have released it sooner, I feel like somebody would have seen something. Oh, yeah. And the worst part is... Um, the family actually never saw the sketch. Never saw it. The media was the first to see it. Um, the media released it. Family saw it. They asked for it. And then it was released to them. And you know what they said? They said it was because they just didn't realize they never showed it to them. Like, I'm sorry. What? You know, maybe ask the children, hey, here's a sketch of a man that was last seen, possibly last seen with your father. Does he look familiar? Like, that should have been your first step. Alrighty, now that we got that little rant out of the way. In May of 2022, Lori and Debbie wanted to get another autopsy done on both of their parents. Since the previous autopsies, somehow they became missing. Yeah. Two autopsy reports of, again, husband and wife killed within three years of each other. Missing. Just gone. Can somebody explain to me how... Two official documents about how a person was murdered, because one, they did qualify as a murder, just disappear. Very strange. Did Um, somebody just, like, throw it out? Like, how does that happen? If you want to hear a little more details and speculation, me and the twins, we talk about it um, in the interview. Yep. So, now that those autopsy reports are missing, they went to the Monroe County Coroner, and talked about possibly getting their parents exhumed for another autopsy to be done. So that coroner agreed and went to go talk to assistant DA Michael Mancuso. Now, some of you might recognize that name. He's the man that's currently running to be district attorney. So the Monroe County Coroner went to go have a meeting with Mancuso. After that meeting, he backed out saying that nothing new could be found. A little suspicious that he was all for getting a new autopsy done after talking to Mancuso. Now, he just uh, doesn't want to. Now, the twins have been reaching out to anybody that will listen and help to try bring justice to their parents. In August of 2022, they actually met with Mancuso to share some of their own research and findings Now, keep in mind, the twins and Randy have been researching for years now. Um, They've met with, you know, their own people with inside knowledge to the police force. 
they've done forensics, they've met with the coroner, so they had a bunch of new information and stuff that they saw weren't, wasn't lining up with the reports compared to what they knew, and they brought all of this to Mancuso. And keep in mind, they don't have that government access. They don't have that police access. They don't. They can't like do a lot of things that police could do. Yeah. So the fact that out. yeah, the fact that they had new information, and then Mancuso had no new information for them. Nothing at all. Whatsoever. Um, now Mancuso was also questioned as to why there were statements from the children in the police reports when all of the children say they've never given statements. He did say, and I quote, we got statements from other people in the neighborhood who knew the kids, end quote. I can't believe this. We just, we we grabbed someone who knew you and we just decided, yeah, we could figure out what they would say. Yeah, this is what they said about their own parents' murder. Like, let's not take official statements of all five kids. No. No, we'll just make up our own. And put that in an official document about a murder. A murder. Yep. Like, crazy. In the beginning of this episode, we did mention the mafia. So we are going to circle back to the mafia and where John Leonard died, which is Buck Hill Inn. Now, Buck Hill Inn was known to be a sort of hangout spot for the mafia. So in our interview, we did ask Debbie, Lori, and Randy if they thought John was ever involved in any mafia. They don't think that John was a part of the mafia necessarily, but they do believe that he might have seen something he shouldn't have, and that would unfortunately lead to him needing to be uh, taken care of. Donald Mick, the man who John worked for, and his father Irving Mitt were also friendly with Louis de Naples. For those of you who don't know who Louis de Naples is, let me tell you. He's a businessman from Scranton who was charged with four counts of perjury for having ties to the Buffalino crime family and not putting that in his application for a Pennsylvania state gambling license. The charges were dropped after he agreed to turn over his legal control of Mount Airy Casino to his family. Um, and a couple years ago, um, it was actually reported that Mount Airy got a $50 million loan for like coronavirus relief. And the bank that actually gave them that loan, he is on the board of. Kind of lucky for Louis, huh? Mm. So he might not be involved, but he might be involved. Yeah. I am winking for those of you who cannot see me. That is a wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, or a eyebrow raise. Now, to come full circle with the mix and the Denables. All five children have experienced both the mix going to a junkyard to see Denables. When there, the children were told to go play, but witnessed the mix coming out of an office holding small, square, brick-like packages in their hands. What could that be? Now, I don't know about you, but I've watched enough crime shows to <laughs> maybe assume. guess yeah. what were what, what was we're, in that. We're not going to say exactly, but uh, I'm assuming anybody can, you know, possibly make the connection of what could I'm be a picturing small, square, uh, brick wrapped up brick yeah and some uh like tan packing tape maybe Mm-hmm. with some maybe white powdery stuff in it maybe 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 who knows um now remember when we said madeline wasn't living with john and the kids well Lori and debbie actually believe this was for protection uh they wanted to protect the children obviously good parents parents excellent parents 
Um, now, let's hear what they have to say about their parents' alleged split. That's why our parents separated and never divorced. Oh, because okay, so they weren't feel, fully divorced. Right, they no, never okay. divorced. No. We feel they did that for security to keep us safe. Okay, and that do you we think, would have, somebody. like, Madeline had knowledge of... Oh, yes. After their mother's passing, the children did not want to be split up, so they stayed in the apartment and were taken care of by the mix. I don't know about you guys, and not to get too far into conspiracies here, but upon seeing the reports and hearing from Lori, Debbie, and Randy firsthand, I 110% believe that there's a connection between these two deaths. Yeah, definitely. It's just a little too coincidental. Too many of the same people, too many reports missing. Mm, Absolutely. Too many inconsistencies, like... If false statements, if I ever researched a cover up, I think this would be it. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see a cover up happening here. Oh, yeah. Like, how do you how do you die the day you go investigate a tip of your late husband? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think I do think I agree with, you know, the twins and Randy. I think there was definitely seen some, you know, mafia at play here. Um, I don't know what exactly. No, nobody knows. But it does make sense given, you know, Irving Mick and Donald Mick's connections with the mafia and John being so close with Donald. It just makes perfect sense. Yeah, it could have just been like a wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Unfortunately, to this day, the Leonards still don't have any answers for anything that happened to their parents. And they aren't any closer to bringing their father and most likely their mother's killer as well to justice. Now, Debbie and Lori, as well as Lori's husband, Randy, are still constantly, constantly searching mm-hmm. for answers and any leads that might one day bring their parents justice. They can finally have peace. Yeah, they definitely deserve peace. Like I said, these are two of the strongest women I've ever met. Incredibly admirable for their dedication and their love for their family in order to keep doing this after all these years. Yeah, they grew up with without two parents who were just gone and they have no answers Mm -hmm. they raised themselves yeah we strongly urge anyone who might have any information to please contact debbie and Lori through email at john and madeline leonard at gmail.com or call the tip line 1-800-472-8477 both will be written in our podcast description if you're a healthcare worker or anybody you know, hear some deathbed confessions. Oh, yeah. Or... I said that in the last episode, too. Yeah, or, you know, your grandparents worked at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Or the, the inn at that time. Like, maybe they heard something or saw something that can help with the investigation now. Like, it's never too late to say something. I'm also working firsthand with uh, Lori and Debbie to create a GoFundMe because they would like to raise money to get both of their parents bodies privately exhumed and they hope to hire a private investigator as well because obviously the police you know aren't really helping them at all anymore nor did they really ever they're kind of giving them the cold shoulder saying you know we're working on it we're working on it but Mm -hmm. are you really working on it or just saying that to get them to go away so once we have that set up that's going to be in all of our social medias we will post that everywhere please feel free to share it if this case also touches your heart Um, We just want answers. We just want peace for the twins. All right. Well, that's it. That's the case. Um, I hope you guys liked it. Want to hear some more. Well, thank you again for listening all the way through. We appreciate your love and support. If 
you like what you heard, make sure to follow us on all of our socials. It's going to be linked down below. And again, like Brittany said, if you want to be featured in our next week episode, be sure to interact with us online for a chance to be our social media follower of the week. Now, when Kasha says any platform, we are now posted on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, Spotify, Google, Google Podcasts, like iHeartRadio, uh, you, you think of it, we're there. Podcaster. I think there's a couple more there. Yeah. Um, so please, wherever you get your podcasts, any rates and reviews, those are always welcome. Downloads, shares, keep it up. Shoot us a DM. Let us know if there's any case you want to hear, anything oh, yeah. you don't like that we're doing. Yeah, Just please tell us. Any feedback whatsoever would be great. And be sure to listen to our next episode. Um, we post every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Um, but until then, we'll see you next time on Murder Next Door. Goodbye. Bye.